This call is now being recorded. Yeah, welcome back to the Feed the Game podcast. This is Deontay.24K. You can get at me on Snapchat or on Instagram. Uh, shit, um, man. Good looking on everybody, uh, listening to that last episode with Taxi On, man. I know he had so much knowledge that he dropped on everybody, and he's definitely, uh, interested in getting back on the podcast, so we're going to see him on a later date, but that was a dope episode. Yeah, well, you got Terrell Hill. You can holler at me at jackhite.com. That is those 679 is my DOC number. On today's episode, we got Thomas Hill. You know, give him, you can give him shout-outs, bro, or, you know, give him the contact info if, they, if you want him to hit you or whatnot. Yeah, what's up, world? It's your boy, Thomas Hill, better known as T. Hees. You know, doing it big from Stafford Creek Correctional Facility, and you can hit me at uh, jpay.com or just, you know, send it out in the atmosphere. I might catch it. <laughs> What's your, uh, right, yeah. what, was, what was your uh, DLC number again? Uh, 878 Okay, okay. So what's good, good bro? You what know, we got going? Uh, yeah, today, man, you know, I got a whole range of different things, you know, I've been thinking about and knowing that, you know, you've been sharpening your sword intellectually and you've been, you know, in the game for so long. It's just important, you know what I'm saying, for us to communicate but create dialogue on a level to where the youth, the men, the women out there struggling, going through it to get to it, you know what I'm saying, or have a breath of fresh air, you know, because one thing that people don't understand is that you can be incarcerated and they got your body, but they don't got your mind. And one thing so good about what we got going on is that we're offering an outlet for individuals who've been on the shelf for, for many, many moons to be able to speak their peace, to be able to, you know, showcase their intelligence, to be able to, you know, give something to the world that they feel is necessary in order to, you know, whether it's giving, getting something up off your chest or not. But, uh, you know, one thing that I wanted to talk about first and foremost was, you know, being that we're from Seattle, Washington, and we've been in the penitentiary for 10-plus years, I want to know how you felt about the, the gentrification aspect as far as convicts returning back to their respective communities and, and, and being able to be, it's like it's like it's something, it's going to be something new to us. So how do you feel about that? Man, that gentrification is such a deep subject because it affects us on a level being that everything we know has changed. You know what I'm saying? And the place you expect to go back to is no longer considered yours. You're looked at as an outsider, you know. It affects our it affects our families on a level to where now they're not living where they work, you know what I'm saying? They're not living where they're going to school. And for me, it it, it, it gets real deep, man, because it, it hurts, you know, because nobody, the re- their reasons for gentrification, you know, are the same reasons that we want to live there. But it's the money that talks. You always got to follow the money, you know. And so if I watch the news, man, and I see, okay, they might be on some, some streets I used to roam in a neighborhood, a street I used to live, and I don't see nobody I know, it's like, damn, it's like, a whole part of my existence, it doesn't even register no more. They done changed the name of the place where we come from. You feel me? Yeah. Yeah, that's 100%. And that's funny that you say that because it's like it really is like it, it's like 
two sides of the sword. It's like one side, because I, I work with a lot of white people and everything like that, um, and a lot of people talk about gentrification like, oh, just there's some there, there's a good type of thing. Like, hey, we gentrified this area. That's good. That's pretty good. And it's like people talk about it like it's really not much of a big deal, but it really is a big deal for the other side of the, of the coin. You know what I'm saying? And it's like yeah. it's not bad for an area to get um, – if somebody comes in and fixes, like, if you come in and fix the neighborhood up and do it for somebody else and kick everybody else out, now we got to go pack up and uh, move somewhere else and start all over again. It's like we don't have a sense of community because it's like the community that we have, just like you said, when you go back there, it's like it's what, what happened. You're, you're kind of confused because it's like you got amnesia or something. It's like this ain't the area that I know. This ain't what I'm used to. And it's like those those institutions, you know. It's certain institutions in these communities that are being gentrified that they help you develop from boys and the young men and young, you know what I'm saying? Boys and the young men and young men and the men. You know what I'm talking about? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Churches, Another uh, sports organizations. Go ahead, bro. No, but that's, that's, that's right that you said that, you know. And another thing about it is what people have to realize, you know, for the European real estate people or the people that feel that gentrification is a good thing in the black community, it's all about capitalism from their perspective. You know what I'm saying? It's all about how can they live somewhere where they can get quicker to their job or where they can have an investment opportunities in these undeveloped or underserved communities because, you know, they're putting us in a position to where they're moving us out south, moving us to Tacoma, further away, rent Kent, which the African-American community has really been the central area, the central district of Seattle for so many people for so long. So it's like they're trying to reverse it and get us away from downtown Seattle because they feel that downtown Seattle is there. So they're like, well, let's move these guys out south. We're forcing them to well, let me give you 375000 for your house, which your house was inherited right. through your grandma, your grandpa, your mom and dad, who may or may not pass away. And the community that we call home, that we've been roaming the streets from Jackson to Union to Cherry to Madison to by Junkins Park to Dearborn to Massachusetts, just, you know, the list goes on. We're in a position now where it's like, we're in unfamiliar territory. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And we have been uprooted, and now we're in a position to feel like, okay, well, now can I turn Kent, Renton, Federal Way into the CD? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I've, been I've been hearing cats come talking about they call Kent Kentrell, like Kent. Man, I've heard <laughs> the same thing. And that shows you right the here. Okay. Nah, they were serious. <laughs> hey, look. Hey, that show you right there, Cass is having attachment issues, man. If you can move to a whole nother part, but you're trying to give it the name of the place you came from. Man. Exactly. Trying to bring something back. Yeah. Man, it's just, it's just wild when you look at it, the whole, the totality of it, because it's going to, it's going to, it's running deep because, Okay, now we know the uh, socioeconomic status of majority of people that stayed in the CD was either 
middle or low income, you know what I'm saying? Therefore, yeah. how is this person going to get to work? You know what I'm saying? When they could just catch a bus maybe downtown or to the U district or, you know, so on and so forth. Now they way out, out the way. They might have to travel two hours to work this way, two hours to work that way. Uh, okay, now daycare comes in effect. How are you going to pick up your kids? How are they going to, you know, it, it changes a bunch, man. Yeah, you're right. It's so much to like an economical status is like there's so much that goes into it. And if you couldn't really afford um, how you were living in the first place and then you move somebody further out, it just makes it even more expensive. So it's like it just it kind of creates that problem all over again. It kind of recycles the problem. Yeah, man. You hit it right on the head, man. Go ahead, bro. Well, no, I was saying segueing out of that. Now you have to look at it from you gentrify people from their communities and then you place them in foreign areas around the state or around the city and then that creates a crime-ridden new situation so people are being placed in areas that they're unfamiliar with and then the only thing to do is lash out to commit property crimes, to sell this, to do this, to do that. So you indirectly place them in a position where now you honor them, they're just sending them to the joint on a free ride. You know, you put them in the county jails, you make the kids uncomfortable, you got them going to schools that their teachers that they've been dealing with for the last two, three years, or if it was uh, mm -hmm. uh, high school or if it was middle school. So now you place these kids in a position to where now they have to rebuild because the things that they knew growing up their whole life has been snatched in front of their feet. And then they're in a position now where it's like, okay, so, we have 60 seconds remaining. so what do I do? You know, how do I, yeah. how do I look for, how do I look for prosperity? How do I look for a better way when everything that I know is gone? It's like waking up and, 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 and your whole family's gone. It's just like, where's the hope? Exactly. Yeah. It's like that whole sense of community is gone. You're right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, uh, you know, that was real interesting what we were talking about, you know, about justification. And, you know, with that being said, you know, i got a question for you, Thomas, that is it, it, kind of important based upon how the African-American community has been devastated for so long based on the crack epidemic and which was basically in the eighties and the nineties. You know, I want you to offer your opinion on how, you know, you feel the uh, racial caste paradigm has changed now in prison, being that whites their their new crack epidemic is, is the opiate slash meth epidemic and that's on their hands now. So you can see that the prison system has changed over. It used to be bloody with African Americans. Now if you really look around it's not the white boys everywhere. Right. And and it and it now we know the impact of drugs, it runs deep and you know, I feel like it's been viewed differently depending on the so called perpetrators who should be victims, you know what I'm saying, from drug abuse. I feel it's been viewed differently how they're being charged and how they're being uh so called rehabilitated through the system. Now the whites nowadays, they're coming in for property crimes, drug possession, and it's all about uh, 
rehab. It's all about, you know, let's get to the root of this problem when we're still spilling effects of the whole war on drugs, you know, from those of us who are convicted, those of us who are brought up in that environment, and the ones who's on the street still going through it. And so Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to ask you a question. So, do you guys think people that uh that go to jail for more like opiates and, and methamphetamine and, and drugs like that, drug charges and in, in, in that nature, do they are the are the numbers that the judge are sentencing everybody with as much as how crack used to be, or is it is there a a difference? Do you feel like, or is it almost like the same sentencing? Man, look. Now I don't see. I'm gonna keep it 100. I don't see some dudes get parked. For say, uh, I can't speak on the, on the opioids, but meth, I done seen some white guys get parked. But it could never be the same. I'm talking about you took out, uh, like two generations of people, you know what I'm saying, of black folks, you know, from that, that 100 to 1 yeah. sentencing disparity, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it could, it could never be the same. They was giving out life sentences for, you know, a little bit of nothing, you know? It could never be the same. But it's like, People, people's taking care of their own, man. It's all about rehab. It's all about uh, less preventive measures now. You know, when it looked, they, it was viewed. We were viewed upon like we chose to get dope flooded into our hoods, and we chose to get addicted. You know what I'm saying? What you think about that? Well, you know, when you really look at it from that perspective, you know, there was a, a, a aspect of racism involved when it came to sentencing African Americans because what they were doing was they were sentencing people for crack more heavier than getting caught with ten times more in powder. You know? And Absolutely. in this day in this day and age the only ones that they're really parking or cooking and giving a lot of time to are the the, the cooks. Of, of of actually the the, the method shit or the people who you know are are in possession of a whole lot of prescription type you know saying uh, drugs, but it never can be a comparison because when you understand the history of this country, they always viewed us as half human. They always viewed us as vagrants of society. The Jim Crow laws, you know. They always put us in a position where they felt we deserved to be in prison. You know, it's like what it is. It's like slavery for us. You know, it's like throwing us back on the plantation. The plantation. So, you know, by them doing us how they did us, you know, drugs was just more of an excuse. You know, they flooded the community, the African American communities throughout the West Coast, the Midwest, and down south throughout the projects and all that. And it was like they put us in position to put us back in position of where we were in the 1700s and the 1800s, you know what I'm saying, as far as the plantations and shit. So it was like, when you really look at it psychologically, mentally, you know, that's why they created the prison industrial complex because now, in this day and age now, there's no really, there's no color as far as only blacks. Now it's a variety of different ethnicities and, 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 and racial individuals that are in jail but the concept is still the same, you know? And when you look at how a lot of African Americans, you know, are still in prison today from the 80s and the early 90s doing time for the crack epidemic, you know, you really look at, you know, it's unfortunate, 
you know, Obama just went, was just, I don't know if it's about a year or something ago, finally pardoned about 40 to 45 people who, you know, fell victim to, you know, this epidemic. And it took a black president right. for that to transpire. You understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. You know, you have a, a whole lot of individuals out there who, you know, like you said, there's two, three generations of African-American families that are just wiped off. They're gone. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how I see it, man. Go ahead, bro. That's how I see it myself, bro. It's it's like we're we're to blame, you know? It's like they need a a scapegoat, and now it's, well, look at what they're doing. So we're going to hit them over the head with these sentences, you know? We're going to get them addicted to these drugs. We're going to deny them housing. We're going to deny them all the the, uh, civil services that's supposed to come with being a citizen of the United States, you know? We're always up against a lot, man, and... Drugs just one way to do it, you know. They couldn't confine us physically no more, so they wanted to confine us mentally, you know. And that's what I feel like happened mostly from the uh, crack epidemic. I mean, that's funny that you said that, how you brought up uh, a lot of people, especially African-Americans, been locked up since the 90s, and you brought up, uh, like, Obama and stuff. But it's funny because, like, a lot of people don't even realize, I feel like the problem is there's a lot of confusion about, how economics and just society works in America, period. A lot of um, families and stuff, because a lot of people don't realize that, you know, Bill Clinton was one of the, the – him and, you know, of course, a lot of uh, legislators and all that stuff, they passed that crime bill where the reason why people were getting so much time for selling crack was because of that, because of the crime bill that they passed in the 90s. And yeah, it's funny because – yep, and a lot of people don't even realize that, okay – they're voting for Hillary now, and they voted for Bill Clinton. But these are these guys are the ones accepting and putting those bills in place where people are going to jail for so long over little things, and it's like we're kind of we're kind of confused because they're locking a lot of our brothers up, a lot of our dads up, our cousins, our uncles, our aunties, and our moms and stuff like that. But we're going to vote for these guys, and we're making it seem like just because somebody's a Democrat oh, it's all good, we should vote for them regardless. We should have their vote. We don't know what type of bills or what type of agenda that they have, but we're going to vote for them because they're a Democrat. Yeah, you know, I really I really can't understand that, man. I know exactly what you're talking about. I read an article by uh, Michelle Alexander. She was talking about why Hillary Clinton doesn't deserve the black vote, and it goes into everything you just said to where now it's like as a people, it's like we're blind to – it's like, you know, they always try to say blacks is so forgiving and all that kind of stuff. And I just think, like, we so forgetful. Like, man, this ain't too long ago. This is just a little over 20 years ago. A lot of the things that are in play that got us in a position we're in were implemented. You know what I'm saying? In that, in that exactly. whole era. Exactly. That's real talk. That's real talk. And, you know, that segues into this question. So, being that we know the presidential nominees on both sides of the aisle, Trump and Hillary, who that is in position to become the next president, which one do any one of you guys feel can better serve the African-American community? Uh, For me, neither. (laughs) Really, neither. (laughs) Man, uh, to be real, a lot of people, it's funny because I was talking to a, 
one of my OGs in L.A., like, he, he always chops the game with me every time I see him and stuff like that. He was telling me, he, everybody's talking about Donald Trump's the devil this, Donald Trump's the devil that. He said he remembers back when they were saying the same thing about Reagan. And the same thing before the uh, Nixon and everybody. He's like, it, the president's going to be the president regardless. So everybody always focusing on, you know, oh, my God, we can't let this person be the president. The president ain't helped us. That I mean, I don't really know. You guys you, you, you guys are older than me, so, I mean, tell me. I mean, do you guys feel like this is the same repeated cycle? Have you seen the same things over and over again, all these promises that are made or all of these uh, notions of this or that, the world's going to end if this person becomes that? I mean, I don't – I haven't seen a change. I mean, for me, being alive – the, the short 24 years that I've, that I've been on here, been on the earth, it's like, I ain't really seen the difference. I've, everybody's just been doing the same thing. Every president that I've seen. I mean, Obama, he's, he's did a lot, but I mean, still. Man, I know just from, now mind you, I'm being more involved in politics pretty much since Obama. He, I'm, he done got me interested, you know what I'm saying, in what's really going on, the whole political process. And I look at it like this. When blacks, when we're not standing up for ourselves, when we're not holding our, our representatives, our senators, you know what I'm saying, our governors, you know, and our potential our potential candidates for president accountable, we're, we're, we're putting ourselves in this same position where, like you said, we're damned if we do, damned if we don't. Because Hillary, we know her history, you know, and that says it all. And Donald Trump, he's going to tell you who he is right out of his mouth. He's not going to hide it. And so we're putting ourselves in, in these positions. Now, when it comes down to it, the president, you know, he's a politician, you know, and politicians going to do what they got to do to make themselves seem like they're handling business, you know. But as far as the question, man, if I was to be able to vote right now, man, I can't even say I'll vote for either one of them, you know, because you got to look out for your, your own interests when it comes to politicians. And who really got our interests, you know? You're right. You're right. And based upon what we said about the history of Bill and Hillary Clinton, you have to look at it from that aspect. Like, they've been sending our relatives, families, friends, associates, people we know directly or indirectly from generations and generations through the crime bill that was signed in 1994 to prison. And then that's the Democratic nominee. And then on the Republican side, we have Donald Trump, who is a part of the 1%, who is rich as fuck, who is only looking out for the 1%, the people that are billionaires or, you know, sitting on two, three, four hundred million because of the tax brackets and, you know, shit from that perspective. So it's like he is not going to create an agenda for the African-American community who is less fortunate, whether it's middle class or whether it's low income, because everything that he sees, it's like a giraffe and a turtle. He's only seeing shit from a giraffe perspective. He's not worried about the turtle that's at the feet of the giraffe. And I say that to say right. the giraffe being the giraffe being the one percent, the 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 millionaires and the billionaires, and the turtle being on the ground, which is 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 lower than the middle class, which is the people on the low income inner cities across America. So really, we'll be voting for someone just because we like their celebrity, we like their pander, and we like their spiel. Really, when you really think about it consciously, neither one of these guys are going to help us. They haven't offered nothing or brought nothing to the table, and that's something that I don't understand about nobody. 
who has been in our position who is out there is that when they go to these town hall meetings and they go to these rallies and they go to these different conventions and things that Hillary and Trump speak at across the country, somebody that has been previously incarcerated needs to be one to ask the question to say, how are you guys going to help whether men or women that has been doing time in prison that are, that are, that are convicted felons, what are you guys going to bring to the world that is going to be able to help them so recidivism isn't something that is right in front of them? You understand what I'm saying? And nobody's out there asking these questions. People might be talking about it in their house, might be talking about it within their own private organizations, but nobody has bombarded Trump or Hillary with these questions. Like, how are you going to deny that there is people that are in prison that are coming back to the world, that are transitioning back into society, whether it's straight out or through work release or whatever the case may be? How are you guys going to offer these guys uh, job opportunities, platforms, if you know, if even need the conversation was just about restoring the vote, you know, it, it, these are important right. questions because you know they act like, well, you know, they did what they did. They were in jail. They're ex felons. They're ex convicts, and that's just it. They'll fend for themselves, and if not, we'll lock them back up. That's the. Only but they still want you to pay taxes too. <laughs> and they still want you to pay taxes. So how would you expect somebody to pay taxes that can't vote? That should be a part of law now going into the future that if I have the right, if you're forcing me to pay taxes, then that should attach to that should be I have the right to vote. You understand what I'm saying? Man. Hey, look, they started the Revolutionary War over that same concept, taxation without representation. You know what I'm saying? But they're willing to do that to us right now. You dig? And I feel like that when it comes to these, these presidents and uh, these potential presidents and when you bring up these issues we're talking about, it's like they gain steam for a second, and then they lose momentum because a while ago they was talking about, okay, we're going to bring back up Pell Grants, and we're going to, you know, because the, the numbers don't lie. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't. When, a, when somebody who's incarcerated gets some form of education, the higher the better, and it reduces the rate of recidivism, you know, drastically. But it's like, so things that are proven, things that you know that work, why isn't, isn't that on the forefront? Why isn't that the focus? And it goes, like you said, to the constituents. They feel like, man, they committed a crime. They're all on the wrong. They're trying to feed us to the wolves. And we're going to be back. You know, we're coming back. That's what people fail to realize. We're coming back home. And then, and then what? We want to be in a position to do better for ourselves, you know, because we're moving next door to you. So why, why is there – it shouldn't even be an issue. You feel me? Exactly. Hey, but uh, hey, we should uh, – we should cut it right here because the phone about to cut off. Okay. Give your shout-out, Tyler. Yeah, man. Uh, I appreciate everybody for listening. You know what I'm saying? Be sure to tune in. And uh, it's, this is something positive, man. We got to support each other in all positive endeavors. You feel me? T. Hill, Stafford Creek, holla. Holla. Yeah, this is uh, Deontay.24K. Get at me. Terrell Hill. Hit me at JPay.